Uh, tomorrow, probably irrelevant to almost all of us, is the uh, Pro Bowl in uh, Hawaii. And it's being done in differently this year. The, uh, I, I didn't even pay much attention to what went on, so I have no idea. But who is it? Jerry Rice and Deion Sanders, they voted in the players to be part of the pool, and then they chose up teams related to that. And uh, some of the guys were talking about how difficult it was not to be chosen first. I mean, you think of these guys who are athletes, but all I could think of is that's the way I grew up. I don't know how they do it on the playgrounds today because adults do so much interfering, quite frankly, in kids' games. But, uh, you know, when you get old, you get into this. It used to be far better back then. But all I know is when I was a kid, we were out of the door in the morning, especially in holidays, came back at lunch and came back at dinner. And in between, we were on our own. And one of the rituals, you just showed up at the park and then you're going to choose teams. And it was always interesting to figure out somebody, how you'd get two captains and then you'd begin to choose back and forth. And, you know, look back on that. It was a pretty brutal system. Uh, you learned where you stood in the pecking order really quickly. And uh, it wasn't so bad when you were new. You know, you walk on and you were the new kid and everybody, you, you knew you were going to get chosen. Either somebody was going to take a gamble on you and you were going to be put in or you were going to be the, the last one. And, and if there was an odd number, it was always interesting that the guy second to the end would usually say, well, listen, um, I'll take you two and the, you, you get him. And to be the him, uh, to be viewed as a liability. Uh, I mean, that was not one of the, I mean, if you didn't have a good self-image, you didn't survive many of those, and you retired rather early from competitive sports. <laughs> in that, So I have no idea how kids go about that at the present time in a politically correct world where you can't hurt anybody's feelings. I, I just haven't observed to see. <laughs> yeah, there's no winners and there's no losers, or there's all winners, and, and however that works. But, you know, we, we learn pretty early in life on one level that one of the words that we don't want to have spoken over us is useless. I mean, of all of the words that you can use as an insult to your child, it's you're useless. Or to somebody at work. Uh, He's useless, and, and we'll cut him loose. It's interesting that in the passage we're going to look at this morning, Peter talks about not being useless and not being unproductive in our spiritual life. And, and I think if we're at all sincere about where we are as Christ followers, one of the things we don't want said about us is that in terms of the cause of Christ, we're useless, uh, that we're unproductive. So I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. And uh, we're going to look at a passage that is, quite frankly, pretty much neglected. Not one of those that is one of the familiar places in Scripture, and yet a pretty significant one. Um, it's a rich passage, and we're going to take off, bite off more than we can really chew. So I want to focus on 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 11, but let's begin by reading the 
first four verses because they do say some things that really set up where Peter is going. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simeon Peter, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who've obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Savior. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, because of lust. Now again, I want to say three things. Um, as we walk through this passage, or have us see three things. The first thing I want us to see, out of especially verses 3 and 4, is that God in Christ has provided what we need for living a productive life. God in Christ has provided what we need for living a productive life. Now, notice two things that are said to be granted to us. And we'll just break it down and talk briefly about this because I really, as I said, want to focus later. Notice verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things. And then verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. God's granted two things, Peter says. Now, there's all kinds of other things. He's granted us his power and he's granted us his promises. And as he speaks about those kind of things, he wants us to understand that this is the base from which everything happens in our spiritual life, God's power and God's promises. Now, all of that builds on a phrase that occurs several times in these earlier verses, looking especially at the end of verse four, when it says, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, Um, pardon me, in the middle of verse 3, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. It is the knowledge of Christ. It is coming to know him through faith and trust that is the basis of everything that God does in our life. God's power is related to knowing Christ and coming to faith and trust in him. Paul says, a couple of intriguing things, even in that uh, first verse. Uh, he, we have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Now think of who's writing. This is Peter, who had walked with Christ and had spent time with Christ, who's called by the Lord Jesus to be his apostle who uh, obviously was the leader of the early church in many ways alongside others, but Peter kind of turned to be the, the first among equals. Paul, or Peter is saying, you know, despite all of those privileges, your faith has exactly the same value as my faith. You have a faith that is of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of, and notice this other phrase, it's significant and it's easy to pass over. Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It doesn't say our God and our Savior. He describes Jesus as, uh, 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 pardon me, of our God and Savior, 
Jesus Christ, and he is giving the Lord Jesus the highest title that can be given. He is God, and he is also Savior. And then he goes on to talk about these things are multiplied in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Savior, where now there's a distinction between God and Jesus, our Savior. God the Father, the Lord Jesus, and yet he can use on one occasion the term God to refer to Jesus, and other times God the Father. Uh, Peter had the highest possible understanding of who Jesus was. But the point is, he has called us into a faith relationship to him. And because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, we not only receive eternal life and forgiveness, but it says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now notice that's past tense. We have been given through faith in Christ and coming to know him everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. Those are ours in Christ. You have, and obviously in the larger biblical context, we know it's through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it's through the regeneration that God has produced that makes us new men in Christ. But what Peter is saying is, God has given you everything that you need to live the Christian life. You do not lack resources. You do not need to go back and get a second edition. You do not need to get iOS 7 because your operating system is iOS 4. Um, And you don't need an upgrade. Now, you may need to learn how to use those resources, but that doesn't mean that you don't possess those resources. And it's of tremendous importance. God's power has granted to you everything you need for life and godliness. And so I need to recognize that I can't then say, I can't do it. I I can't do it. Because God has given you that capacity. That doesn't mean there's not a struggle. That doesn't mean there's not a challenge. But we are born in Christ with God's provision for us. Now, it's rather striking that what he says in verse 4 is related to that. He says, Through this knowledge of Christ, God has also granted to us his great and precious promises. So that one of the ways in which God works in our life is through giving us promises. And he uh, elaborates on them. They are precious. They're, They're of incredible value. And the second thing is they are great. They're beyond our imagining. He has given us great and precious promises through that, that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, we don't tend not to think this way. But we live, if we understand the Christian life, as, as Warren Wearsby once said in a phrase that I've never forgotten, we don't live by explanations. We live by promises. If somebody could explain to me why my daughter has cancer, that wouldn't enable me to deal any better with tomorrow. I mean, knowing why we have the problem doesn't help me deal with the problem. What helps me is the promises of God. 
and the reality that God is faithful to his promises and God keeps his promises. I love uh, the words of uh, Lamentations chapter 3 in the midst of that depressing, bleak passage. And then all of a sudden, Jeremiah breaks out with the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And you know, I can live by that promise. His mercy is new for today. I go to bed at night like you go to bed at night, and your problems are different than mine. They're not the same as mine, but you go to bed at night wondering where you're going to get the strength to go the next day. And God says, I'll have a new mercy waiting to meet you when you grow up or get up. That his mercies are new and fresh every morning. And he's made that provision for us in Christ. Now, let me, let me talk very practically to you for a minute, and uh, a little bit like a Dutch uncle. One of the greatest problems of modern evangelical churches, I don't know Wayside, and one of the great needs in your life is to be memorizing Scripture. This is not a generation that has emphasized memorizing Scripture. Your cell phone cannot do for you what God's Word hid in your heart can do for you. You, I mean, I'm grateful for having the the Bible at hand, in my hand, but it's much better to have it in my heart because I need to have those promises deep in my heart. There is not a night that I don't wake up in the middle of the night. You get older, your sleeping patterns change, but also anxieties change. And every single time what I do is lie there in bed and I just quote God's promises back. And I, I, I run through different passages of Scripture that are on my mind. and in my, Nothing has been more important to me at this time of crisis than having my word, God's word, hid in my heart. Sounds like Psalm 119, which I had to memorize. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, but your word have I hid in my heart that I may know what it is to keep trusting in you. So passages like that one from Lamentations or Romans chapter 8 and especially the way it ends. If God is for us, who can be against us? And nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Or the Psalms from the Psalms that are familiar like Psalm 23 and Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to stumble. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will not stumble or sleep. And then I can go to sleep. If he's going to stay awake, I might as well go to sleep because I can trust him with that. Listen, man, I want to say it as powerfully as I can. Learn God's word. Memorize it. Get it in your heart. Because there will be times where that will be the most precious resource. And I don't believe that you can't memorize. I know, I have trouble memorizing. Okay, but you can still memorize. You may not be able to memorize as much as somebody else can, but you can hide God's word in your heart. The very guys who tell me they can't memorize, if I ask them who played for the Dallas Cowboys when they won the Super Bowl the last time, they're usually fairly good at telling me all of the, all of the guys who were, you know, played on that particular team. But... Um, or you know, whatever, whatever your thing is in terms of memorizing and knowing things. But this is why he gave us those precious promises. They are God's, one of God's means 
to enable us to escape the corruption that is in the world through lust and to partake and to grow in our faith. And while it's wonderful to hear the word of God preached, and I've done more than my share of that over the years, there comes a time where it needs to be hidden in my heart so that I can live. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sitters or sit in the seat of scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. So, that's not where I want to put our emphasis, but God's power and God's promises are God's equipment for you to live a predictive, productive life. But now in verses five to seven, he comes back to say, alongside God's provision, there needs to be your energetic engagement. Spiritual growth is an intentional process. So notice, as we read this passage. He says, for this very reason, for the very reason that he's given you his power and he's given you his promises, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Now let me just make a couple of comments about that. The the basis is, for this very reason, what God has done The reason our effort counts is because God has already worked. We do not perform to gain favor with God. We perform because we have gained favor with God. Everything begins with grace. Everything begins with God's provision for us. But let me remind you of the basic issue of the Christian life. For grace, you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Verse 10. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God has ordained that you should walk in them. The purpose of grace is to make us grace-giving people and not just grace-receiving people. You were created for good works. So Paul, uh, Peter then says, because of this, make every effort. Christian growth, Christian salvation is God's work. Salvation is of the Lord. He provides it all. He offers it as a gift. We receive it. We are receiving from his hand. We're passive, it's his work. We receive what he has done for us. Sanctification, growth in the Christian life, is a cooperative work. It is what I need to do based on what God has given me. It's always based on his work within me. His power is at work in my life. His Holy Spirit is given to me. But I am to make every effort. Now, the next word that's translated to supplement your faith, um, I I just don't like that translation. To add to your faith is what the older translations say. But it's a hard word to render. There's some words in the Greek language that you just can't render. And this is a very interesting one. It's a word that meant to, to generously and lavishly provide for something. It actually is related to the word for chorus. And when the Greeks put on a play, they would have a chorus that would be part of the act. And a patron 
of the arts in that particular city would sponsor the chorus. And uh, so this word means chorusing. I mean, that's how it would be. But behind it is the idea of lavishly providing so that something generously providing. It's going to occur um, when we get to verse 11 again, and, and there it will be even more obvious. But he's not just saying, listen, you've got to make every effort to supplement. That's just a weak. To add, yeah, to generously or to extravagantly work. Don't just do the bare minimum, he's saying. Now, before we look at the list that's given here, um, I just want to remind you of how this works in the Christian life. Remember Paul saying in in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 12, he says, work, the older translation, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both the willing and the doing of his good pleasure. Now, that doesn't mean work at your salvation, work for your salvation. And all of a sudden that verse turned on for me when I understood that that word work is the word that was used, for example, of mining, where you work a mine. And when you work a mine, you work to realize the potential that's there. You don't work to get a mine. I mean, the only reason you build a mine is there's coal there or there's some precious mineral. Some of you are in the oil industry or have been in the oil industry, and you know, working an oil field. And there's a lot of money coming into San Antonio now because now they've opened up new ways to, am I right, through fracking to work fields that you didn't. So you can say, "We're, we're working that field. What does working mean? It means it's already there. Now you've got to, to bring it to the surface and use it. Or if you're in sales. I don't know whether they still this, use this term, but uh, it used to be you talk about working your territory. You don't work to get your territory. You work because you've got a territory. So when Paul writes, work your salvation, he's saying, God has given you something amazing and rich and full. Work it. Because God is at work in you. That's how you know. It isn't your de- dependence. I mean, it's, it's a little bit like work your muscles. I mean, watching my daughter go through rehab, I mean, it's excruciating on one level. But by God's grace, due to the nature of this, it wasn't a traumatic brain injury, it's a surgery. Traumatic brain injuries tend to cut the nerves. This, this surgery's weakened those things. So now she has to work her muscles because it's there. So here's, for this very reason, because God's given you his power and his promises, Make every effort to do a faith, spiritual growth, maturity boosting experience. So let's look through the list of eight things that are given here. We'll just look quickly. I doubt very much, even though it's put this way, is kind of latter. Add to your faith, moral excellence to moral excellence, add, and it goes up the list. This kind of growth has to be expressed in some way, but this kind of growth isn't linear. It doesn't really work quite in this way that first of all you add this and then you add something else in this order. It's his way of describing this kind of growth is organic not linear if you understand what I'm saying we're going to produce. But look at these eight things that we have responsibility in some way or at least seven things building on the base to build into our life. Notice the first word is the word adding or supplementing your faith. 
So faith is the building block. It's through faith that we're saved. It's through faith we enter into the kingdom. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Here, faith is trust in Christ. That's the kind of basic thing that we come in and uh, in terms of our spiritual life, that's what we have. But he says, add to your faith, translated in, in the English Standard Version that I had, virtue. But it was translated, same word was translated excellence back in verse 3. And it has about the idea of moral excellence. Add to your faith moral excellence. That that's God's will. That faith in Christ be combined with a determination to grow in your moral character. Excellence is a word that kind of raises it to the highest level and tells us that we need to pursue excellence. I did my doctoral uh, dissertation on uh, excellence in the Christian life. It was a time when there was a lot of talk about um, excellence in, uh, and there was a, a famous book written in the business field called A Search for Excellence and um, and so that's where I did uh, and wrote a book uh, that came out of that. But it's interesting in the New Testament, excellence of performance is not what's emphasized. It's excellence of character. And excellence of character is only a value when it's an extension of excellence. Pardon me, excellence of performance is only a value in God's eyes when it's an extension of excellence of character. And we live in a world that's turned that on. Its, we don't care much about the moral quality of somebody. It's, are they a gifted singer? Are they a gifted actor? Or even if they're a gifted executive, things get excused in different places. But we're called to be people who are pursuing moral excellence to the glory of God. The next one on the list is um, knowledge. Now, in this context, knowledge, it's hard to it's hard to be precisely sure. And some of these, it's, but probably it's knowledge that's in this context of, of Christ in a personal way. Talked about knowledge uh, earlier. And he'll end his book by saying, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's about knowing God. Remember Paul's great passion that uh, I left everything aside for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but newer, that I may be Christ, gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which comes through the law, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And that was Paul's, I want to know God. Let me just give you another advertisement here. If, if you're, th there are several books that I think every Christian should read, and one of them is the book Knowing God by James Packer. If you've not read Knowing God by James Packer, don't get through this year without reading that. It will enlarge your vision of God if you allow it to, and it will help deepen your understanding of who God is and your desire to know him. But Paul is saying, or Peter is saying, uh, I'm sorry for this common thing. Add to knowledge self-control. Now, it's interesting that some of these things are also described as the fruit of the Spirit, but they're also called to be uh, my responsibility. And I think most of us as men know that um, self-control is a huge challenge in the world in whatever different direction 
it comes at us. Um, I, I can absolutely guarantee it, not having seen very many of them, but there's companies that have spent millions of dollars for the Super Bowl next week to give you 30 seconds to try and entice you away from self-control in some particular way. Um, and all the talk recently has been about um, um, the seductive nature of a commercial for Butterfingers chocolate. I mean, we don't even sell chocolate bars without trying to seduce people in, in our kind of culture that we live in. So to, to understand, what, it, what does Paul say about himself in, um, in the book of 1 Corinthians? He says, I don't consider myself to have arrived, but I beat my body and bring it into submission in case I'm disqualified. And, and I, I, all you need to think of is the Alex Rodriguez stories of, of the shortcuts. I mean, Rodriguez didn't get where he got in terms of using drugs or Lance Armstrong or whoever you want, but he gave himself permission not to show self-control. Well, enough said. I don't need to. But we can do that in our own life. I'll never forget a guy who uh, I know well. He's a good friend. And he's a member of our church. He worked for a Christian missionary organization. And he phoned me one day and said, I've got to talk to you. I think I'm going to jail. And we talked. He was into his mission agency for a quarter of a million dollars. And uh, he'd been just... So I asked him, how, how did you get there? And he said, well, I can tell you when I did. We had tuition due for my uh, daughter at university. And um, the... Uh, Something went wrong with my car. I don't know what it was. I, 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 blue tires, couldn't afford to do both. Get new tires for my car, that. And I put the tires on the mission agency's credit card. And uh, they didn't catch me. So the next time, I mean, he didn't have any intention of getting to where he got. By God's grace, he didn't end up going to jail. People were more gracious to him than he knew he deserved. But nobody intends to get there. But it's because they don't guard themselves in the area of self-control. And it's the little things. It's that enticing pop-up on the television screen. And then it's a guy coming in saying... Um, I think I've given my wife venereal disease. I'll never forget a guy at Dallas Seminary, a Marine, um, who had uh, come home. He was at seminary. Um, but not long after he came home, they blew up the barracks in Lebanon. It's a long, I mean, a long time ago that that story took. And... Uh, he came in and said, I've only told one other person in the world this, but I have HIV. I got so angry, I went out. And I don't know whether it's male or female prostitute, it doesn't matter. And I'm dying, because that was the thing at that time. And he said, I've given it to my wife, and she's dying. 
What do you say to somebody who's done that? Three little kids under the age of five. He didn't intend that to happen. But he gave himself permission because he was grieving. And we understand the grieving. But add to your faith self-control. I guess I'm spending a little time on this and we'll talk about this on another level tonight because I think there's a huge temptation with us men just to give ourselves permission just to try it. The next word after self-control is uh, steadfastness. It's translated in the, um, in the English Standard Version. It's the word that usually is translated, and I guess I like the word better, endurance. I love the picture of the word endurance. The, the Greek word literally means to stay under. And um, if you're a football fan, you'll understand this. It's one of the marks of Marshawn Lynch, running back for the Seahawks, that he goes into that pile, and he's under the pile, and he keeps going. I, I mean, his yards after contact are, are incredible. And, and, and that's the picture of the word. It's when you know, things are coming down on your back, but you're still going for the goal. You're still heading for that. And endurance is the capacity to get under difficult circumstances and to keep moving toward the goal. Not just to be stoic, not to say, oh, this is difficult, but to not be deterred. And it's one of the marks of grace. And, and it's interesting that the only way you build endurance is to have something to endure. So Paul says, um, we rejoice in tribulation knowing that tribulation produces endurance. And endurance produces proven character. And proven character brings hope. And hope will not disappoint you. Then brotherly love. Um, Brotherly love is the Greek word Philadelphia. But it was never used of love outside the natural family in the Greek language. But now in the New Testament, it's brought into love with the brotherhood, love with the body of other believers, love with guys like this. And and that call to allow our life to be wrapped up with other people. And then the word love as the supreme one, that self-giving concern for the needs of others at whatever cost that is characterized by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now Peter is saying, You've got to self-consciously, intentionally, because these don't think, things don't happen just automatically. Add to your faith. You've got to be on a maturing, intentional process. And I think one of the dangers of our life is that we can easily believe that maturing happens automatically. Howard Hendricks used to love to tell the story about a teacher who came to him, um, or pardon me, the story he heard about a teacher who uh, was really upset because he had been um, passed over for a job and he came into the superintendent of schools and complained that he had 20 years of experience and this other guy had four years of experience. And uh, as Hendricks told the story, the principal or the superintendent who ever looked back at him and said, "I'm, I'm afraid you don't have 20 years of experience. You have one year of experience repeated 20 times. Now that's precisely what this next part is going to say. Notice, 
Let's read verses uh, 8 to 11. Paul says, If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffectual, and the word is useless, or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, these are rich passages, but just for the sake of time. He is telling us that spiritual growth produces, first of all, spiritual productivity. If these things are in you and are increasing, so there's always that capacity for growth in my life. None of us are ever going to say that I've arrived. Even Paul says, I don't consider myself to have arrived. But forgetting what's behind and pressing toward what's in front, I press toward the mark for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he wanted to live going flat out for the glory of God. And, and that's the call in my life. I, I, I want to I, I hit the finish line, not crawling, but running. I don't know when God's going to call me home but I, I want these things to be in me and increasing. I'm still growing under God's grace. I want to coast. And, and he says, that means you won't be useless or unfruitful. One of the great promises of Scripture is that a person who is living as God would have us live will hear the Lord Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant not good and successful servant not good and famous servant well done good and faithful servant and um, the people I admire and have come to admire more aren't the celebrities it's the people who um, are just faithful they serve their life in their own ways glorifying God in their sphere. I think of uh, a woman's face that comes to my mind right now, and she's had MS. She's had MS for years, and, and yet there's always this sense of just grace about her life and joyfulness about Jesus that makes you want you have all kinds of reasons to have packed it in. But she's faithful. Doesn't touch many people's life directly. It touches all kinds of our lives indirectly. And some of us have gifts that put us up in public. But that's just faithfulness to what God has given. Some of us have gifts that put us in very private places, but we're faithfully loving our wife, even when there's all kinds of reasons to do something different. And the glory of God is when we faithfully live for him, we're glorifying him. Well, I want to come back to that in just a moment because Paul does then, or Peter does then in verse 9, there's this opposite. You know, a person who doesn't have these qualities is so blind as to be, or so myopic as to be blind, staggering along. Then he says, spiritual productive productivity also produces a kind of assurance. Now, there's great theological questions in verse 10, and we don't have time to do it, but he says, uh, 
The one who does this thing will make their calling and election sure. Now what that means on one level is, in terms of faith in Christ, our calling and election by God's side is absolutely sure. Because as you follow the chain, whom he foreknew, he predestined, whom he predestined, he called, whom he called, he justified, whom he justified, he glorified. That once you are part of God's elect purpose, you are certainly going to complete that. But on the human level, to know for sure that we are part of God's family is based on what we have trusted in the basis of the word of God, but it's confirmed and authenticated by spiritual growth that's taking place in our life. And it's a way in which God confirms to us the reality of our salvation and a subjective way in our life. And then the final picture in verse um, um, 11. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, the idea isn't just that we're going to enter into the presence of the Lord, but it's going to be richly. It's the same word that was used back when you supplement your faith. This one, this richly, it will be a rich, an abundant entrance into the presence of the Lord in heaven. There's an old story. It was interesting. I began to read a, a best-selling book called Bully pulpit. It's about uh, William Taft and, and Teddy Roosevelt. And, uh, and, the, and the book begins by um, Doris Godwin Kearns, who writes the book, and, and she's a gifted historical writer. But she spends a lot of time talking about Teddy Roosevelt returning to the United States. After he served his uh, two terms as president, he came in off, obviously after an assassination. Uh, he was elected only once and chose not to run a third time ended up a little bit later changing his mind on that. But he, he went away to Africa after he finished and spent a year in Africa, trekking around Africa and then do And when he came back, there was this huge welcome. They, they indicated what ship he was going to be on. It's estimated that there was a million and a half people in the streets waiting just because he'd returned from Africa. And this tumultuous thing, I, I mean, I'd read about it before, but it's just amazing as the book describes it. But there was also this isn't in the book, a missionary who was returning from Africa on that same ship. And they'd been faithfully serving Christ in Africa for 35 years at a time when you didn't come home for furloughs. You didn't get on a jet and come home. And uh, he got off unnoticed. There was no one to meet them, no one to pay attention. They could only afford a little hotel room. And... Um, he lay in bed that night and he finally turned to his wife and he just said, I just can't believe it. Served all these years, served the Lord. We've come home and there's nobody to meet us. And his wife looked to him in that godly way that wives sometimes do and said, uh, you're not home yet. There's this marvelous passage in Pilgrim's Progress where faithful dies. And faithful, it says, crossed over the river, which was the symbol of going to heaven. And Bunyan says, and all the trumpets sounded for him on the other side. That he had an abundance entrance into the presence of the Lord. My brother-in-law died in... Uh, July. 
He'd been 55 years a missionary in Chile and uh, lived his life there outside of the circle of the rather narrow church group that he belonged to. Nobody knows David Jones. But he faithfully served the Lord. And I believe under God that a trumpet sounded for him on the other side. My mother died the same day that Francis Schaeffer died. Um, Francis Schaeffer made a huge impact on the evangelical world. And all kinds of things were written about Francis Schaeffer, as they rightly should have been. Nobody wrote anything about my mother. But she raised three boys who all came to love Christ and uh, have served him in different ways. And I believe all the trumpets sounded for Patty Enrig on the other side because she'd been faithful and she'd added to her faith those things and she was not useless and she was not productive, uh, unproductive in the things of God. But men, it's only as we intentionally commit ourselves that by God's help, I'm going to be a growing Christian. It won't happen by default. And it won't happen by osmosis. You may pick up infections from this group, but you won't pick up godliness. Although some of the men who are here may infect you with a desire to be more godly. We have to make every effort to add to our faith for the good of those with whom we live and for the glory of our Lord Jesus. What does that look like for you? This list of things to add is also a list of things to examine. Have a good time as you talk about this. Thank you, Gary. Uh, 12 o'clock is lunch.